Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Nintendo. Nintendo Voice Chat with a very special treat. I am Jose Otero, once again joined by Brian Altano. I can't believe you referred to me as a special treat. That was so sweet of you. Well, we also have uh, two special guests. We do. Today. That's right. So Bill Trinan from Nintendo Treehouse, also joined by Anne Lynn, who's also a member of Nintendo Treehouse, here to talk a little bit more about Animal Crossing. Uh, you know, Happy Home Designer is coming really soon and we wanted to sort of talk to these folks a little bit of, uh, and get a bit of a peek behind the scenes you know sort of working on these games localizing sure. these games and sort of helping people just kind of learn where some of the special stuff comes from um, so thank you very much for joining us by the way yeah thanks for having us yeah. cool cool and can we start with you just for folks at home uh, if you could give them a quick introduction you know you're part of treehouse like when did you join and uh, sort of when did you start working on animal crossing 
Um, well, let's see. I joined Localization back in 2004, back in the bad old days. <laughs> um, we were still in the, the old treehouse, the kind of windowless secret room, a bit dusty. Um, and I started off as a Localization writer and editor. Um, and let's see, the first Animal Crossing that I worked on was Wild World for the DS, and I headed up the writing side on that. Also headed up the writing side for City Folk, um, and also wrote for New Leaf. And had you done localization prior to that? I had not, and it was totally lucky that I fell into this job, you know, being a, a video game fan and also um, having a background in creative writing. I didn't even realize that this was a potential, like, job career path when I was in college. And when I first uh, read the job description, I was like, whoa, this is like being like an ice cream taster for a living. These <laughs> jobs exist? <laughs> uh, fortuitous. Yeah, it's, it's fun because I think Bill had a similar story in terms of falling into uh, his job at Nintendo as well when he started. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it just, it, which was funny for me because having studied Japanese mm -hmm. and having been looking around for jobs using Japanese in the Seattle area, yeah. I had like almost forgotten that Nintendo of America was out here. Right, right. Right. And yeah. then when I ended up applying for a job here through another agency, I was like, oh, wow, like how stupid was I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, sorry, this might be a bit of inside baseball, but just uh, if, if you can go with me here. I've heard with localization, uh, there are writers and there are translators and there are writer-translators. Like, do you guys prefer the role separated or do you like them together, to have someone who can do both? Um, do you mean localization at Nintendo or localization? Yeah, localization at Nintendo specifically. Well, localization at Nintendo works as, uh, so we get the, the kind of source Japanese concept and text, and then that's translated by our bilingual product specialist. Okay. And then it's kind of reworked by the writer editors into something that is um, more suitable for our market. Okay, okay. Yeah, so we have two, we have the, the bilingual side and then the writer side, right. and, and they work close in hand um, okay. with, the, with one another as they go through that process. Mm -hmm. And of course, after the, the writing step, we also localize our products into uh, French and Spanish. Okay, okay. Do they base that off the English script, or do you hand them sort of yeah, the raw? But they are also making changes to um, make the content more fun and appealing to their, their markets. Okay, okay. So then, uh, Bill, as a, as a Treehouse veteran, uh, what was your first experience with Animal Crossing? Like, when it showed up, I mean, what went through your mind? Well, actually, my first experience with Animal Crossing was actually the N64 version that didn't launch here in North America. Um, it launched in Japan at the very end of the N64 life cycle. And at the time, the, the dev team in Japan, I think they had shown the game to some folks um, on, the, on the U.S. side here at NOA fairly early on in development. And the initial reaction they got, I think, early on was that, yeah, we don't know if we'll launch that game in North America, which of course is rare for a, a game from EAD. And so that, but that dev team under Mr. Eguchi, they just said, oh, okay, well, if that's the case, we're going to make the game the way that we want to make it for the Japanese market. And they went to work on and finished the uh, the N64 version. And and as the game got close to being done. Um, they said, well, why don't, why don't you guys take a look at it one more time? And they sent a version over to us. And myself and Tim O'Leary and uh, a couple of other folks, uh, four of us, all set up houses in one town on the N64 version. And with that version, you basically you had to pass the cartridge around and take turns. And mm -hmm. so it very quickly turned into a fight to see who could get the cartridge first in the morning every day. Because early, you know, you're the the, the store is small, and it's like whoever gets in there first and gets the shovel or the fishing rod has a leg up over everybody else. Yeah, yeah. It's right? like a land grab, yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and but we would and so we would pass the cartridge around all day long, and I would play for a little bit, and I'd give it to Tim, and Tim would take it and give it to somebody else, and I would go to Tim and be like, dude, where's the cartridge? I want to play again. And uh, he's like, oh, so and so has it, and then I'd go run over there and see if I could get it from them and then the other person would be looking and trying to get it and it quickly you know we we all got hooked on it really really fast and uh, and together we all kind of wrote an evaluation of the game and said we really need to bring this out in North America mm -hmm. um, and so that was sort of the start of it and 
But what ended up, we ended up doing was they took the N64 version and they brought that over to GameCube um, early in the GameCube lifecycle. Uh, and they added a few things to it, um, but it was basically the, the same game as the N64 version. So we did the initial localization based off of that. Uh, and it was, uh, that was also, I think it was, we started work on that shortly after the launch of GameCube and probably spent a good, you know, 10 months to a year working on it. Which I'm glad you did, by the way, because that created uh, a similar rift between my roommate and I in college. where We both moved into the same town, and we would kind of take turns being like, hey, you're going to class today, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'd come back, and it would be like six months in the future, and his whole house would be paid off, and I'd still have a shack, and everything in Nook's store was sold out. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fantastic. I really spent... I spent I don't know if I've really talked about this on this show, but I've, I've spent I spent hundreds of hours playing the first Animal Crossing game for GameCube, and it's like this. It came at a time in my life when I was, you know, what nineteen, twenty years old, or, or whatever it was. We were supposed to be playing like real manly games, and I was like, you know what? It's or, I, or maybe you're maybe you're supposed to be studying for your or that. Yeah, there's <laughs> sure there was that. Uh, hey, I got here somehow, <laughs> um, but I, I would rather stay home and roll snowballs around and you know collect the entire lovely furniture set and stuff like that. You know, so uh, it was it was always a very special game, and I think that one thing that I really appreciated was the the level of sort of humor in the script that did it did really. I mean, it's in, in terms of Nintendo games, it's probably it's it's some of the most densest. Uh, not really in terms of how heavy the dialogue is, because no characters die or anything like that. Hopefully, they I know they move just, away. You don't know what they happens. move away, or you come back to your house and it's full of roaches. It's dark. It's real bad. <laughs> but uh, in terms of having interactions with characters, I remember sitting there at, at two o'clock in the morning, actual real human time, and just talking to animals over and over until they were like, "Hey, I found this piece of furniture. You want it?" And you would just have these interactions with them that would go on for hours and hours. What's what's it what's it like, sort of? Of, of honing in on, on each individual character trait like that and when you're localizing a game? What's it like? Um, well, I guess we're always thinking about the end user experience and also trying to make little magic moments for someone who's maybe playing the game a lot, a lot, a lot and getting maybe that one message, you know, that one like secret message. Mm-hmm. So trying to think about it from that perspective. Um, I think there's also a fair amount of, because all of the Animal Crossings have always involved like big teams of writers and translators, there's a lot of like kind of creative back and forth that happens and I think people feed off of that. Um, And there's also a fair amount of, as as Bill kind of touched on, you know, late night, um, semi-dazed translation and writing and I think that's also uh, a source of a lot of humor. Uh Okay. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's that's fun is that just because of the sheer amount of characters and text in the game, mm-hmm. is you know at least with the first one, and I think probably with subsequent ones as well, we would assign specific characters to specific people. Yeah. And and then you know like Rich Amtower worked on on the original game, and he had a friend who got the final game home and was playing it. And he was like, whenever I talk to this character, I hear you, Rich. I hear you. <laughs> and I'm trying to, I can't remember who was it was now. It might have been Gulliver. But yeah, and so it's like you have specific characters in there who sort of take on a little bit of the personality of yeah. the individuals that translated or did the, the final ride on them. Did, did Rich, was Rich the kind of guy that would fall asleep? on a beach and wake up with random, <laughs> random trinkets from all over the world and not really remember how he got them. Yeah. I think we're supposed to reveal that. Yeah. But yes. okay. He's, yeah, I was, I was actually talking to Jose about Gulliver earlier. He's really one of my favorite characters in the game because you don't, I mean, there a lot of the other characters, some of them are very moody, some of them are kind of sad, some of them are really kind of rambunctious and excited, but Gulliver is always just sort of like kind of, he's, very generous and also very haggard and he just I think he's hung over like he just woke up and he's like oh man last night was rough uh, here's the Eiffel Tower I, I'm never going back to Paris see you later and then you don't see him for like a month it's very 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 odd so how much of that sort of gets sent to you guys first from Japan and how much of it can you kind of pick up on your own and go this we're going to kind of shape this character to be the way we want it to be I think it kind of depends on the character. For some of them, you know, they're very easily 
translatable. There's a clear analog um, in North American culture. For some of them, if it's very Japanese, then we might have to do kind of a, like I was talking about earlier, a creative overhaul to find an analog for our market. Mm-hmm. So then going back to uh, sort of sharing that cartridge with uh, two other people at NOA and that experience, uh, was the... Were you guys ever concerned that, like, the lack of direction, like, because Animal Crossing games, like, the, the initial part is, well, pay off your loan, pay off your home. But then it's kind of, well, it's really on you to figure out what you, what you want to develop and what you want to do. Did you guys ever have uh, sort of fear that people wouldn't get that aspect of it, that people would not understand what to really hang on to next as an objective or a thing to do? Well, no, actually, I think that because of the way that we looked at the, the N64 version and we had four different people playing together at the same time, it actually kind of showed us how different people play the game different ways. Because okay. uh, very quickly, we had um, one of the, there was a girl who was playing with us, and her focus very quickly went towards, you know, planting flowers and, and designing the room and things like that. Whereas for the longest time, like my house just had like that original cardboard box mm-hmm. and I was like I'm just getting fish yeah. I'm just catching fish. <laughs> <laughs> bachelor pad <laughs> all right yeah. and in the that in the gamecube version you had um, you did a lot more of like running errands for the animals um, and so I would spend a lot of time just like oh he wants me to take this and run it over there and I'll do that and then I come back and see what I get for that mm-hmm. uh, which was a lot of fun and and then kind of gradually over time one of the things that I started to do in in both kind of the early versions and in the more recent versions, is I'll have like specific characters in my town and I'll walk into their house and I'll just be like, I don't I don't really like your house. I'm just gonna start sending you furniture that I want you to put in your house. <laughs> and so I would like then I'd be running on around on these errands trying to find furniture and then writing these letters and sending them to them. And, you know, because of the way that the system would process the letters that you wrote, you if you really want them to react to it, you've got to put effort into what you're writing. And so and then, like, there'd be cases where I'd be like, I really want this guy to have this thing in his mm-hmm. house. And I would send it to him, and he would get the letter, and he'd show me the letter. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't care about the letter. Where's the furniture? And it's like, it doesn't show up in his house. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I, like, keep buying the same thing over and over again and trying to, to send it to him and force him to put it in his house. Yeah. <laughs> I used to, uh, I would I would catch... I didn't have that relationship at all. <laughs> <laughs> give me stuff, give me stuff. No, Bill, I'm right there with you, and when they didn't do that, I actually would take it a step further. I would go fishing, and if I found garbage, I would mail it to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially yeah, the characters you hate, right? Yeah, I mean, there's... Yeah, I there's, there is that certain level of hazing. Like, there's the pitfalls. You can drop an animal in. You can whack an animal with a, in the head with a net. Um, you know, you can't really run up and punch anybody or hurt anybody in that game. But there are, like, little things you can do to kind of define your character a little bit. And I think that's even part of it, too, is when you're on the train on the way in, they start asking you questions. And if you're kind of... If you're kind of rough about them, you come out looking, like, l- a little evil-looking. <laughs> or at least, at least I did. I don't know how yeah, you played, Jose. Sure. No, no, I mean, I've heard, uh, and I don't know if this is 100% true, so maybe you guys can help me out, but do you know how in, uh, in New Leaf people would use QR codes to sort of pave their own roads and set up, mm-hmm. like, uh, basically surfaces that would make it look like a street or like a curb or whatever they wanted? If someone moved into town and set up their house right on top of one, I heard, like, hitting them on the head with the, with the uh, bug net was a clear sign you didn't want them mm-hmm. there. <laughs> they would eventually leave, but I don't know if that's true. Someone I knew told me that. I was just curious if you guys knew. I don't know about that. I kind of don't think so. Okay, well, I, sure enough. I, Could have been a lie. I, I, don't, I don't know if it actually works, but I will admit to having used that technique many a time. that <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to move out of town. <laughs> mm. Okay. I, I mean, I guess that's the thing. A lot of the villagers move out of town on their own anyway, so maybe it's working. But, I mean, I've had, like, best friend animals that are just like, hey, I got to go, man. I'm sick of this place. And you're like, come on. No, but you're disappointed when you get that letter, right? I mean, I mean, talk a little bit about that, right? Like, even writing these letters for these characters. Like, sort of how do you go about doing that? And do you have to write many? Or is there just very few instances where you need to do that? Um... Not to get too, not to show the bones too much of the system, but, you know, there are are characters, or there are letters that you write for um, every different character type. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, at least when I was working on letters like that, it was always trying to um, make it as tear-jerky as possible, you know? (laughs) Acknowledging that this is a real relationship that is ending, and um, how would... uh, 
I guess, just trying to elicit that kind of emotion out of the reader. So then, uh, Bill, going back to that first game, and the first character you meet, I believe, is Rover. Um, sort of what, uh, how did you guys go about settling on his voice? Uh, you know, sort of, because that's the first character you meet in the game, at least in that one. I like that you said voice. It's, it's all, like, animalese. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but you know what I mean, in terms of, like, the, what's, what he's saying. Yeah. That, that kind of deal. Yeah, well, he the the thing about Rover is he's we kind of we started with the fact that he's just this this cat that you meet on the train, and and so we're like, well, he's obviously not getting off at your town. Um, we don't know where he's riding from. We don't know where he's riding to, and so we just kind of had this assumption that he's always on the train, uh, <laughs> which is why his name is Rover, which is also we thought kind of funny because typically that's what you name a dog. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and and so, but he he also because he instantly starts talking to you, um, we just kind of were like, well, obviously he's like that person on a plane or mm-hmm. a bus or a train who just won't stop asking you questions. <laughs> he's he's uh he's John Candy in planes, trains, and automobiles. I never put that together. That's actually really sad. He doesn't have a home to go to, man. See, this is what I love about Animal Crossing, though, because there there is that there is that depth in these characters. Some of it's perceived and some of it is sort of you uh, kind of assign them to that kind of stuff. Um, Like I always there. There is that sort of there's that idea that Tom Nook is kind of a malicious guy, right? Like he is the sort of bad guy in that game. And he's not really a bad guy, but he's a boss figure or a landlord. And I I think people always assign those traits to those kind of people in, in, in the real world because they have to give them money and that's, you know, or work or time. And that's kind of the pain. So uh, what's, what is it, what's it like sort of developing Tom Nook as a character? Actually, well, Tom Nook was, He's kind of changed over time. Yeah, I mean, because he was the landlord and the shopkeeper, yeah. and then I'm trying to think, he obviously changed in New Leaf, but was he? He had his. What was his role in the City for? Not the same. Not the same. Yeah. yeah. And then in this game, he's in Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer. He's sort of the boss of Nook Homes, which is a carryover from you know his his business in New Leaf. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he is very much sort of the absent boss, you know. Mm-hmm. He's they they talk about him like, oh, he he actually showed up for work today. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I really appreciate because it almost feels like, and you know, as somebody who's been playing Animal Crossing since the GameCube era, it feels like a very slow, minor, but also a pretty great victory over him. That he's now finally. Kind of out of the way, he's not like he's not working on his bustling empire of department stores and Seven Elevens and all the other things. And you know, he does, his kids aren't working for him anymore. Uh, he's kind of off to the side, and you come in as the mayor, or you're kind of you're doing all this stuff. And uh, that was kind of a pretty cool triumphant moment to be like, I think I got one over on Nook. <laughs> you finally free. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah but he was definitely sort of an am- ambitious capitalist, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You can see the drive in his eye. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, then how, uh, and maybe Anne, you could answer this question. How do you go about writing for, writing for Isabel and sort of her role? Because it's very different than Tom, and um, she plays such an important role in New Leaf as someone who you constantly sort of talk to, or she's like your liaison essentially for everything. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't write the character of Isabel. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, do you remember what that goes like in Oh man, she well in you know she's she is sort of the very eager, mm-hmm. um, sort of the the character in the background that's doing all the work and getting everything done because again it, you know technically the previous mayor was Tortimer and so the insinuation is that yeah. you know Tortimer being this old turtle who hoofs and horse all the time <laughs> you know and he kind of he's the guy that shows up for all the ceremonies but maybe doesn't do a whole lot back at the office he, he's pretty checked out he's <laughs> always looking forward to his retirement yeah, yeah he's doing his he's kind of doing his victory lap around town at all times you know oh there's a party I'll see yeah, how's it going <laughs> so the, the you know I think definitely the insinuation is that she's sort of been the the you know the, the the one in the background who's moving all the pieces and making everything happen, mm. but she's also very eager to do it. Yeah, yeah. 
Are you are you guys kind of surprised at the way this kind of quirky, strange N64 GameCube game has now become one of your most defining properties? Like, I mean, there's there's characters in crossing over to several other games, Smash Brothers. There's spinoffs. It's getting an entire amiibo line. Yeah. I mean, this is not something Mario that Kart. I Mario Kart. I wouldn't have traditionally associated this type of game with like what a core Nintendo belief and value is. But the more you play it, the more you understand it. You really do get the way it brings people together. Are you guys sort of surprised watching characters like Isabel and Tom Nook resonate with so many people? Well, I mean, for me, by the time I started at Nintendo, it was so, it was already such a huge part of, um, you know, the Nintendo brand. And also, it was such a uh, kind of crown jewel of the the treehouse, you know, it was something that you guys had obviously put a ton of work into and was, you know, a shiny example of what localization can be. So, um, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I guess from my perspective, no, not really. <laughs> okay, okay. I think for, for everyone that worked on the original game, it was really more a sense of relief. Yeah. You know, because it was... It was clearly a very different kind of game. Um, technically, you know, and the Animal Crossing world is one where nothing really happens. You know, there isn't a lot of drama. It's it is just this peaceful town, and it's the things that you would do in a growing up in a kind of a quiet, peaceful countryside town, like mm-hmm. collecting bugs and fishing and talking to your neighbors. And yet, somehow, that became this really fun and compelling gameplay. And so, I think for everybody that worked on the original game. There was relief because localization was such a big driver of, you know, and, and so supportive of trying to bring it over, and and also a relief just because of how how much work it took to to actually localize the game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were we were all really excited when we started to see the reaction from people online. I think I, one of my one of my favorites was um, I think. Uh, you know, William William Gibson, the author, once commented on the game. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. and that was awesome. like all of us were just like, blown away. <laughs> that's wow. awesome. God, that's yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that must be that must be amazing. Um, I want to ask then. Uh, you you had mentioned sort of different folks who are responsible for writing different characters. What are your favorite characters to write for, and why? So for me, I always really enjoyed writing um, the lazy boy personality type. I actually worked on that with you for um, Wild World. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about, there's like a lazy boy hidden inside of me who just wants to like kick back on the couch and like eat cheese puffs and play video <laughs> games. So that character really spoke to me. Um, uh, who else? I really like working on Dr. Strunk. I worked on him for Wild World um, when he was still kind of a psychiatrist as well as a comedian. Yeah, and that was his first appearance in the yeah. games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Did you write his jokes for New Leaf? Anything to do with those, or have you moved away? I think Stephen Grimm did. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, that makes so, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense now. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know, there have just been so many fun characters to write for, and one thing that I've always really enjoyed about working on the series is reading other people's work, like seeing where they've taken um, their own characters. Uh, I remember back in the Wild World and City Folk days, uh, we had a writer on staff, Alan, who he did all the peppy girls. Mm-hmm. And it was funny that like, you know, from his exterior, you wouldn't think that he had this like hidden, you know, cheerleader inside of me that was just like, you know, waiting to come out. But yeah, reading stuff is always, I, I always got a really big kick out of it. Yeah. Okay. For me, I, I, uh, I did the original translation for all of uh, K.K. Slider. Oh, yeah. And then worked with uh, Rich Amtower on uh, the final rewrite of that. And we actually, uh, for the very first game, we had gone and gone back and researched sort of beatnik mm. phrasings and, and yeah. terms that they used to throw about with, uh, and, and we put together this whole glossary of, of sort of K.K. Slider's speak um, that, uh, that we wove into it. But he was, he was very much just sort of based on kind of this like Jack Kerouac-y mm. beatnik 
you know, beat poetry, guitar playing. I just want to, I just want to make my music. Okay. I always love that character because on the in the GameCube version, I believe the later versions too, it was the only time you actually saw the credits. Mm-hmm. Like he would, and it, there was that sort of finality to it. Like you're like, did I beat the game? You're like no, I just like I had a great day. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, just, you'd yeah. go in for coffee, and he'd just be like, "What's your favorite song?" I always picked uh, KK Cruising because it sounded like a, a Dr. Dre beat. <laughs> yes, I love KK Cruising. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's Actually, easily I my still- favorite. Even to this day, when I have a house at Animal Crossing, that's what I put on in my yeah, house. That's day. that's so cool. That's yeah. It's always my first pick of of all the songs that he's done. KK Cruising is my favorite. Okay. So, uh, Bill, you mentioned uh, sort of running around like catching fish or just getting the collector's bug. Um, how do you guys go about writing some of these puns that you go for? I mean, there's <laughs> they have some for fish. They have some for the the bug specifically. I oh, think. those are so great. And they're they're consistently great. Uh, why don't you guys talk a little bit about that process? I'm glad that you like them. Because <laughs> they've always been like, yeah. I mean, it's fun to be able to really pun it up and be super corny. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that that has uh, resonated with you guys. Yes, yes. When, when, when somebody in the office like really groans hearing one of those, do you know that that's the one that you're going to put in the game? <laughs> mark. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I figured. It, it, to me, it was always the ones where you're like, ah, oh, why did you? That's great. That is so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Bill, anything to add on, on sort of the, the, the I mean, was it, were there puns in the Japanese version? Like, where did that come from? Just yeah, that angle. Yeah, they, they also had puns in theirs. And so it was, you know, when you, when you start with something like that, then from a translation side, what you do is, is you basically translate what's written and then you leave a bunch of notes. And it's like, okay, this is what it says this is what it really means and it's a pun on this and this which doesn't work in our language and so we've got to figure something out that ties into the name of the fish and and you know such and such um, and then it's up to the writer to really figure out you know how they want to do that and sometimes they'll do some that'll stick closer to sort of what's in the Japanese and sometimes they'll just rewrite completely from scratch. I think a really important piece that all the um, Japanese to English translators incorporate too is uh, what the intended effect is on for the audience. So, like, for example, for puns, mm-hmm. this is supposed to be a groaner. Yes. Okay, we can do groaner. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. My one of my, you know, the one that sticks in my brain the most uh, from the Japanese version is, of course, the sea bass, uh, which is the fish you probably catch the most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in Japanese, sea bass is the word for that is Suzuki, and in Japanese, Suzuki is like the smith of names. Mm-hmm. In Japan, it's it's very very common. So in Japanese, you would catch it, and the text would pop up, and they would say, "It's Suzuki." Oh, you again? You know, as if, oh, okay, it's another person named Suzuki. Yep. Um, and and I thought I had explained this to to Rich when he wrote was writing all these puns. But I don't know if it was just me dreaming that I explained it to him or, or maybe he just ignored my explanation. Because I think in the English, in the, the original GameCube version, it actually does say, you caught a sea bass. Oh, you again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Which, like, you, it, it really drives you nuts reading that over and over again. Like, it actually, that totally, that, 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 that completely works because you're like, I want to get a red snapper. I want to get, I want to get something I can sell for 5,000 bells, make some money on this house. Mm-hmm. And you get a sea bass, which is worth absolutely nothing. And you have to throw it back. It's not even worth carrying it back to Nooks. <laughs> uh, so then how have these characters sort of transformed with uh, Happy Home Designer? I mean, this is the first, or, or even have they? Like, this is... Uh, what seems to be the first Animal Crossing spinoff, um, not one in the in the vein of the original games. Um, do you approach writing that differently? Does that change sort of the way a lot of the characters sort of behave? It's probably similar to how you guys approached it with New Leaf, because New Leaf was probably the first game where you started to see existing characters appearing in roles that were new. Mm. Um, and it seemed like in some cases they were kind of written newly for the roles that they're in a little bit. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I can't speak too much to Happy Home Designer. But, but yeah, taking for, like, taking, you know, Tom Nook, for example, he's, um, as I mentioned before, he's sort of this, he he runs Nook's homes, 
Um, but he seems to have lost a little bit of his capitalist edge because it feels like he's 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 hit the big time now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's not as he's not sort of that omnipresent character that he used to be, where you would see him every day in the store, multiple times a day, yep. or you're paying him back constantly. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like he's popping in and checking in. And so he he does have a slightly different feel. And then kind of similarly, you have uh, the character Lyle, who, if you recall from was it City Folk, I think was... Oh, no, the DS... Um, Wild World was where he first yeah. appeared, and he was sort of this pushy insurance salesman <laughs> yeah. in that game. Um, and he's still got a little bit of that personality, but, uh, but now he's working in the office with you, and, and so he's not, he's not nearly as annoying mm-hmm. as he was in that game, where yeah, you're yeah. just like, no, get away from me, I don't want to buy your insurance. <laughs> who, uh, who writes Mr. Resetti? <laughs> What's going on over there? Like, is that is whoever's doing that? Are they? Is everything cool? Actually, uh, Mr. Rossetti is a character that I would say is really um, the source of it. A lot of it came from uh, the translator who worked on that character, who was originally Tim O'Leary. Mm-hmm. So he came up. I mean, it's my understanding of it. Yeah, like he informed a lot of that voice because I think in the original Japanese he speaks in like a console dialect mm-hmm. um, and so kind of kind of gruff, kind of gruff uh, very yeah. straightforward mm-hmm. um, also you know kind of tied in more to you know where the mafia home mm-hmm. base is in Japan and so you you know and that's I think why he mm-hmm. he, he says things problem. like capiche yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never put that together. That's great. I didn't either. Actually. Yeah, Rossetti's always been like, so he's angry at you, but when he when he kind of like blows off the steam, he's kind of like, look, man, I I don't I don't want to have to do this, but I'm I but I have to do this. You know, like you were just making a mess of this world. Just please, just take care of things for me here. And you're like, all right, I actually kind of feel for you. You get a glimpse into his apartment, that weird kind of sad man cave that he lives underground in i'm very i'm very invested in this character personally i, I think it's the ma- it's the mafia connection <laughs> yeah and you have yeah, to work I mean, really hard to to get to go to his home yeah i think to your original question though i mean happy home designer really is where you start to see some of the the characters that you know from the series taking on different roles um you know isabel is still she's still kind of the go-getter and is still there to help you with building facilities and things like that and it's great because this time there's a lot of there's facilities that you can get in the game that haven't been in an Animal Crossing game up until now, like mm-hmm. the school, the hospital, things like that. Um, and so I think that's it's kind of and it's fun because then if you have amiibo cards, then you can take characters that you have amiibo cards for and you can assign them specific roles within those facilities. And so it's sort of like and, and it's I, th- I think Brian is probably going to love this when I describe it to him in this way. And I think I'm going to be eternally embarrassed when I say this out loud. But it's this game is sort of about creating your own personal Animal Crossing fan fiction. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you assigned uh, 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 the respect and love of fan fiction to me. <laughs> That's thank you very much for that. You have a whole career worth it to, that set this up. Like I, you know, like the other, I was playing the other day, and Ribot showed up outside, and and basically, kind of the way that I play is, I, I start, you know, you start your day every day at the job, and you come out and you see who's outside, and who wants somebody to build a house, wants you to build a house for them, and and basically the way that I do it is, I'm like, well, is there is there a character waiting outside who I desperately want to have in my town, mm-hmm. or is there somebody who's talking about a house design that has that sounds like it's going to have furniture and items that I really want to have access to. And if the answer to either of those questions is yes, then I immediately will pick, you know, one of those two characters. And if the answer is no, then I start going through my my amiibo cards and yep. deciding, okay, who do I want to bring into town? Mm-hmm. But so Ribot shows up outside and and I was super excited because I was like, yes, I want like Ribot is one of my favorite characters. He's the the little robotic frog and I desperately want him in my town. And and as soon as he showed up and I'm and he I got to start picking his house. I'm like scrolling around the map to find a space. And for some reason I tapped on the mountain and uh, way up on the mountain, this big snowy mountaintop sort of, and there was this plot of land where you could put a house and it was surrounded by a moat. 
and instantly my brain was like, oh my god, Ribot is like the evil villain of my town. <laughs> and so I just, I'm like, I'm going to build him, like he, I'm going to set up this whole story where I, I'm going to, he's going to be the evil villain and I need to find somebody who's going to be the superhero and I'm going to design their houses like so that, you know. I mean, no, there's a, there's a great sort of sense of irony of taking a robotic frog and surrounding him by water because frogs love water, but robots hate it. <laughs> well, and then... I'm and right then, there with you. I can fill out this fiction with you, man. This is working. Right? And so then on the outside of his house, they have like, I took like the anatomy statues like yeah, from yeah. science class. So he has, his house is surrounded by an army of these like anatomy statues that look sort of like zombies. Oh my God. <laughs> so he'll, he'll never get he'll never get trick or treaters or you know door to door salesmen or anything like that because that's uh, that sounds utterly terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and I, I have to say that that that's a part of the game that I didn't expect to get hooked into. Sort of uh, applying what I perceive as their pers- their personality, applying things to what their personality says to me. You know, I didn't expect that right away. And yet, you know, you can do something like that. Where maybe the instruction is just, I like citrus fruits. And you're like, you're going to love them after this. Wait till you see what I have in store. Oh, do you? We're, we're going to Costco. <laughs> yeah, this is going to work. Uh, oh, Anne, on, on your first game. Your first game again was Wild World. Uh, correct? Okay, uh, just uh, if you can talk a little bit about your experience on that game. I mean, you, you're coming into a series that... You know, Bill and some folks had sort of established, but here you are, your first time working on it. Like, what uh, can you just talk a little bit more about that experience and, t- and talk a little bit about sort of what was going through your mind, some ideas, some original ideas you were trying to pitch or push? Or, I mean, was there even room for that? Well, the cool thing was that there was so much. Okay, so for like the, the characters that carried over from the original Animal, Animal Crossing, I felt like there was so much depth, kind of like you were talking about. Like, yeah. There are a lot of places to take each character. Um, so there was that. And then on top of that, there were a lot of new features too, and new characters like Shrunk was a new character at that point. And it was just really fun to be able to um, take them in a, a different direction. And the cool thing too about the Animal Crossing dev team, they've just been really uh, open to collaboration with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really special part about working on any type of Boston series is how open they are to that. Okay. Um, okay, and uh, sort of looking at the existing characters, I mean, do you guys compile all that stuff in, like, books that people have to kind of study? Like, how do, how do you prepare new people coming into this franchise? Well, the funny thing is, like, as, like the first day I started at Nintendo, I'm in the Nate Bildor, my boss was like, okay, here's Animal Crossing. Here's what you got to do. You got to play 20 minutes every day. So that's basically how we get people started. It's like as soon as they start, you know, pick up Animal Crossing and play it because this will be part of your life at some point. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. And eventually that that came true. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. In fact, we when we worked on the original one. It was part of the entire team's life. Yeah. It was. I think it was the only thing that we were working on for mm-hmm. for many months at one point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Nate was on there, and he did. He had a lot of fun with that, and Scott Ritchie, who's mm-hmm. who's still here, he was with us at the time as well, and uh, and he had he had a lot of fun writing some of the the girl characters too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that sort of uh, camaraderie and togetherness that I you know, and also uh, the division that that came between my roommate and I in college over who was playing the game. It's 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 a really important part of the franchise. We have the same effect here at IGN when. Um, when a new Animal Crossing game comes out, there are 15 different people playing it at the same time. And we're talking to each other about which fruit did you get in your town? Which furniture do you have? I'll come to your town and trade with you. Um, I think that's like, it's really one of the coolest things that has actually come from a game that is both so deeply personal and that you are sitting there customizing your house and your yard and the, the interiors and even the paintings that, that you put up or even your museum is different from, from player to player to uh, how how much it really just brings people together uh, with the online community and the fact that you can open up gates and bring in strangers and friends and family members. Um, so I guess I don't really have a question for that. I just want to say thank you for 
working on a, a series that I, I, you know, you guys are obviously passionate about and in turn your audience is passionate about. And I personally have been so invested in for, for so long. So seriously, thank you guys for working on such an awesome game series. Well, thank, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel super honored to have been a part of um, the titles that I have been a part of. I feel really lucky to have been able to work with that team. Yeah, I mean, it's that's the thing is that it's, you know, kind of like the way that, that you talk about how you talk with your friends about what's happening in your town was actually pretty analogous to the way that we were talking with each other when we were localizing the game. It was sort of like, well, what characters are you working on and what are they talking about? And, and you know, and so it was sort of like you, we would kind of go in and do our thing and then we would start having those same conversations and it was, it was almost like a process of discovery for us even in localizing the game because it was so big and you're like you know somebody would say oh my gosh I had I was I was working on this whole section of the game and I couldn't believe that this was even in there and you're like I haven't even seen that yeah like how is that possible <laughs> yeah yeah I think uh, it does come back around almost to the cartridge story you started the game with um, whereas you know I didn't experience it uh, deeply on, on GameCube, but when I did, especially on New Leaf, uh, it did turn into street passing with folks, looking at their homes and immediately going, oh man, so I want this, I want this. Like, and it, it did turn into, I want to say, like keeping up with the Joneses. Like, yeah. you're, just, you're looking at this, uh, these other creations people made and you're like, yep, I need to do this. I need to step my game up uh, or I'm stealing that coffee table because now I can buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, on the, on the Nintendo D, I'm just throwing, throwing this out there. On the Nintendo DS one, I made like 10 of my favorite rap album covers into flags for oh. as textures. It was like Wu-Tang's 36 Chambers, Nas's <laughs> Illmatic, uh, Dr. Dre's The Chronic. I made like pixelated versions of all their flags and put them all over my town. Do you still have this cartridge somewhere? Or? It's it's somewhere. I can dig it up. Okay. okay. Yeah, we, need to, really... we need to put these up. I think listeners will want to see it, if anything. Yeah, for sure. Just imagine really crappy looking 8-bit versions of your favorite or my favorite <laughs> rap album covers of the 90s. Got it, got it. Yeah. Got it. I still want to see that. I think yeah, for sure, amazing. man. All right, guys. Well, thank you. You, you, were, I mean, you were talking about the kind of the way that you would street pass with people and see what they had in their rooms and wanting to get all that stuff. And when they, we first started looking at New Leaf, or not New Leaf, but Happy Home Designer, and the design focus on it, I was kind of like, well, I, you know, I, I like designing my own room, and I'm wondering what it's going to be like to have a game that's so focused on design. And what I quickly found was that it actually it it meshed with a couple of different things. And one was, you know, I, I mentioned this idea of fan fiction because I I always had these ideas of like what the animals were doing yeah, when I wasn't yeah. around, yeah. you know, or and and then the other was as I kind of talked about earlier how I would always try to get people to put stuff in their house. And now I'm like, I can I can design their house the mm -hmm. way I want. Like I can turn Ribot into that super villain, <laughs> you know, or I can it's like I can I yeah, I can give you the house you want or I can give you the house I want. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's really I've I it's kind of hooked me in a way that I wasn't really expecting. Uh, well, which is, I think is a lot of fun. It's sort of like that Looney Tunes cartoon where you see the pencil come in and you know erase Daffy Duck's beak and give him a new hat or his, put the mouth on the back of his head. Like you get to kind of play God a little bit or this sort of mad scientist overseer to take these characters and make their houses the way they want. Uh, I saw uh, Dan Reichert over at Giant Bomb mm -hmm. was, talk, was playing the game and he was sharing his experiences and talking about how, you know, uh, one character wanted basically a nursery. So he put uh, uh, this, this kind of crib in the middle of the room but then surrounded it by like oil flames and the character was kind of like all right well that's not really all right sure yeah i can see that working yeah. you know you get to put yourself into it so that's very cool yeah but you at the end of the day even if you are playing sort of an overseer and the person who is putting that the furniture together the minute you throw away something that uh they wanted you get that immediate like piano reaction yeah like, oh well i need to put that back now um well, it, it kind of feels like, uh, and hear me out on this one, but there was that show Pimp My Ride with Exhibit <laughs> where he would like latch on to something. He'd be like, oh, you know, your girlfriend told me you like fish tanks. Like, all right, where is this going? Well, so I turned your car into a fish tank and it was just like fish tanks all over it. Like I had a character in, 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 uh, in the game the other day say, hey, you know, I really like, like I, I want like a library type of situation. And I was like, okay. 
we're gonna make that happen. So I made all of the walls bookshelves. I put books all over the floor. It looked like something like uh, you know somebody would have gone crazy in historian or conspiracy theorist. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Yeah. You know, okay. um, but you know, it's just at the end of the day, they were happy with it, so I was happy with it, and that's how that works. Nice. nice. Well, and the funny the funny thing is too is that I actually I got I had that same character who wanted books everywhere, yeah. and and I basically took it and turned it into like this little parlor. Right, and then and so you had like these. It looks sort of like the kind of room you would go put a smoking jacket on mm-hmm. and sit down, and and totally chill by the fire. But then within the room, I made like a sub room of bookshelves around it with like a little tiny way in that you kind of have to squeak through, and then you get into like the secret chamber of books in the middle. And so it's like even with a simple request from one character, you still have different interpretations of yeah. how you can bring that to life. Yeah, nice. Yeah, very very true. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for coming on our show. Uh, definitely looking forward um, to either having you guys pop in more often, and definitely looking forward to playing more uh, Happy Home Designer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely. trying. I'm trying. Gotta, we got to compare designs. I want to see what you got. I'm trying to avoid collecting all these amiibo cards and, and figures. It's it's <laughs> I it's a slippery Just give slope. It. <laughs> well, you guys, I mean, in the copy of the game, it will come. There's a there's one of the cards in there, and I'm like, oh, they did it again. <laughs> <laughs> The yeah. first hit's free. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I may have said that before. Yep. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, uh, for, sh- for sure, uh, you're welcome here whenever to come through and, uh, you know, drop some more great stories behind the making of some of these games. We really appreciate hearing that. Right on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, right. thanks a lot, guys. Cool. Hey. This is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.